God is good all the time. We're going to talk about loving today. We are told to love one another. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. You're familiar with this chapter. And now I show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Join me in prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, thank you for this text on love. Something we all want and something we all need to practice. We ask that you'd open our minds and hearts so that we would hear you today and receive some message that we can apply to our lives to obey you even more. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Most of you, like I said, are familiar with that chapter. If you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard it read. It's included. It's called the love chapter. It is a beautiful chapter, although it really isn't intended towards weddings, but it applies. But it talks about that importance of love. And Paul certainly is, is, is laying on top of what Jesus has already told us, and we have those scriptures. In John 13, 34, and 35, we have Jesus' command to us regarding loving others, where he said, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus had a, a lawyer, someone come to him and say, Lord, what are the greatest commandments? And that was one of them, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus regularly taught about love. And I'm sure as a review for most of you, You've heard about in the New Testament, the Greek uses different words for love. And let me refresh them though. One word that's not in our Bible that is predominant in the Greek language is eros. That is that basic love, that sensual, passionate love typically between a man and a woman. And uh, we're familiar with that as humans, but it's not in the Bible. Another one is the word phileo that is in the Bible quite often. Phileo is that foundation, that fondness for another individual. It is used to express the love between family members, and it's often used to talk about brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia, for example. But that's phileo, that's that friendship, that fondness we have for another individual. But the Bible goes a little deeper in its words, and the Greek word is agape, or agapeo is the verb. Agape love is that self-sacrificing love for another individual over self. It is love that is looking out for the interest of another, even if that means 
lowering doing something for ourselves. It's placing them first. The agape standard of love is what Paul is addressing in our text today. The agape level of love is what we are told of God's love in that great verse, John 3.16. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Greek word there for that love is agape. And certainly Jesus is the epitome of that love where he left heaven, took on the form of man, taught us for a while, but then took on our punishment on himself, died on the cross for our sins, but praise the Lord, rose again on the third day preparing for us a place in heaven. For God so loved the world. Agape level of love is that love that Jesus teaches. Another verse is John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for a friend. In the course of history, and certainly in many battles, many wars, a soldier has laid down their life for another. We too tragically too often hear of a soldier falling on a grenade to save his others from being wounded or killed by shrapnel. They are valiant. They ex exercise great valor in living that, out that phrase of giving their life for another. And how many have given their lives for us that we can sit here in freedom and we honor those without or throughout our year. But Jesus said that. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for a friend, but I don't think it has to mean dying for another person. You see, if we just set aside our desires, what we want, our life, so to speak, we're giving our life for another. Parents, we often do that. We regularly do that. We always do that for our children. There's a lot of times we'd much rather be doing something else than taking care of them. We'd like to go to a ball game again. We'd like to sit and enjoy a movie. We'd like to get a good night's sleep. But we do what we need to do to take care of our children. And that is laying down our lives for them. It's laying down what we would rather do to bring us pleasure in order to care for them, to raise them into the individuals they need to be. That agape love of, is a level of love Jesus teaches in those verses in John 13. And it's also the level Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 13. When he talks about the love there, Paul is using agape. He's not using the fondness love of phileo, but he's using agape. Agape love is also the love Jesus says the church of Ephesus, Ephesus had lost. When he's given his message to the seven churches, he comes in Revelation chapter 2 of Ephesus and he, said, he praises them a little bit. But then he says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. 
I've known some men who were actively engaged in helping churches grow. A good friend of mine lives in Springfield, Kentucky, has a ministry doing that, George Yates. And George has shared with me that he thinks that's the greatest reason churches struggle today is because we've lost that first love, that agape love for God. Jesus is talking about that to the church of Ephesus and those messages are applicable to us as well. In Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, Jesus gave two more commandments. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I've referred to these and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, agape love, that sacrificial love. So clearly by proof of repetition and word meaning, we can understand God intends for us to love him and to love others with that love that places others first that agape level of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul goes further to explain what this love should be. In verses 1 through 3, he outlines for us three catalysts for love. Verse 1 refers to love from the heart, that emotional expression. If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, Paul's talking about having eloquence, being able to to wow people with our delivery, with our words, with what we say. And if we can have that great eloquence that can sway crowds, but we don't have love, then it's of naught. He's saying we can be a silver-tongued devil using words of eloquence, but we must speak them in love. And if we don't, then it's like clanging brass or a gong, my Bible says, or noisy symbols. Symbols work great in the hands of a skilled person at just the right time in a song, but you drop a symbol and it sends shivers up your back. It's noisy. It's not anything you want to listen to. Clanging brass and noisy symbols are a raucous sound that's unsettling and unpleasant. Pleasant, and that's what he's saying love or speaking without love is. Though the words spoken are pleasing and flattering, they're devoid of meaning, devoid of love. They're intended for one purpose, and that's for the speaker to get what he or she wants. The words are said in order to benefit them, not the other. In verse 2, Paul refers to love of the mind. He talks about the gift of prophecy. And we always need to remember uh, in our English, we, we have the struggle with a word meaning multiple things. In the New Testament, when prophecy is used, it's not talking about foretelling what's going to happen 10 years from now. It's talking about proclaiming the truth of God, going forth, proclaiming. Forthtelling is another way to translate that. So Paul is saying the gift of prophecy, it being able to teach Scripture, and if we speak from that he adds the person may be able to understand great mysteries and have all not just great knowledge and he finishes with the statement that the person may have faith that can move mountains hearkening back to what jesus told us 
told his disciples, if you have faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed, you'll be able to say to this mountain, get up and go hence, and it will happen. So Paul's referring to that. He's saying you may have that level of faith, but if it's not spoken with love, then it means nothing. Finally, verse 3 refers to great philanthropy and personal labor. You can give your great wealth to important things, and that's a good thing to do. You can work hard to help others, but if it's not done in that self-sacrificing agape love, then they're not worth the praise they may receive. This is the will of man that Paul refers to. So we have this, this threefold picture of things we can do devoid of love. To summarize, Paul refers to love of the heart, mind, and will of man. And using these faculties, man accomplishes mighty things. We do great works for people. We help millions. We build tremendous bridges and buildings and all these kind of things. We can, we can pen great songs, great poems that stir the heart but they must be done with that agape love or they're just nothing but unpleasant noise. In order to love others as Christ commanded and as Paul taught, we must start with that agape level of love. That's what Jesus was condemning the church of Ephesus for in Revelation 2.4 when he said, you've lost your first love. In that passage, Revelation 2.4, Jesus also gives the solution how to get back to that. It's threefold as well. He first says, remember the heights from which you had fallen. You see, one of the things we really need to keep in mind that we don't like to is understanding that we're a sinner saved by grace that we were dead in our sin nature, that we were not seeking God, that we sought things for ourselves. And we need a deeper realization of understanding that were it not for the love of God, we would still be dead in our sin. I was sharing with the, a group the other night that we've all, unfortunately, I guess, had the occasion of going to a funeral. And a lot of times in the funeral, you'll have singing, you'll have people talking. Sometimes you'll have people crying out in distress. But not once in my whole life in any funeral I've met have I seen the person sit up and ask them to be quiet, the dead person I'm talking about. They're unresponsive to what's going on. And that's how we are in our spirit towards God before the Holy Spirit comes and awakens us, quickens us just enough to be able to start listening to him, to realizing his need. Last week, Mark shared with us a very interesting and powerful story of a man that came to seminary that he met who was a native from another country and he had no Bible, he had no preachers, but he had God's creation. And he was out in creation, 
and it testified to him. And it's a, he said, I know there's someone greater than me, and I want to know you. And shortly after, a missionary came to tell him, and he decided to come to America to study at our seminaries. God speaks to us, but we need to remember that fallen state. Too often, sometimes at salvation, but sometimes later, we start letting it creep into our mind that we're responsible for our salvation. That I made the great wise choice to choose Jesus Christ. That He had nothing to do with it. That it's because of my smartness, because of my wisdom, that I chose this path of salvation. And that's just not true. Were it not for the power of the Holy Spirit, we would all be dead in our sin. So we need to remember that fallen state. And we need to remember that in our prayer life regularly to thank God for our salvation, to thank Him for sending Jesus Christ. The whole of the Old Testament teaches that we are not capable of meeting the righteousness standard of God. And were it not for Jesus Christ who became our righteousness, we would be lost in our sin. So Jesus says the first thing to do You need to remember from whence you came. You need to remember what your position is before God. In my life, many times in desiring to know that on a deeper level, I've prayed to God for the passage in Isaiah where Isaiah says that he looked upon God and he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. And I've asked that I could see God extra clearly, that clearly, because I know that if I see him very with unclouded eyes, with an open heart, that it's going to reduce me like it did Isaiah saying, woe unto me, for I am undone, for I have seen the Lord. Because when we see him, we then become that more cognizant of our wickedness and our sin. So that is necessary that we remember. Once we've remembered, Jesus said, repent, which just means change direction. We're going in one way, which is following after self. That doesn't mean it's necessarily 100%. It doesn't mean we don't do some good things. It doesn't mean we're not helping some people along the way. But by and large, we're going our direction where we think And that repentance is is understanding that and yielding our lives to Jesus Christ and turning to where what we do is all according to His calling, to His plan, to His direction. So Jesus says, repent, change directions. We can remember our fallen state and we can feel sorry for the things we do, but He says that's not enough. You need to change from what you're doing. And then finally, it's repeat. Jesus says, go back to your first love. Repeat the things we did when we fell in love. So the reason we need to remember that fallen state is because we become enamored with ourselves. We start believing that we were the ones who chose God. 
that we are the ones who are that smart. We forget that we were dead. We have no correct claim to have had anything to do with our salvation. We're saved because of His grace that He expressed to us. We must also question ourselves if we have ever had that understanding. If we're not experiencing the power of God in our lives. Paul wrote, you should have the fruits of the spirits, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, and faith. If we're not seeing these fruits in our lives in ever-increasing amounts, sometimes it's healthy to have an evaluation. Did we accept Jesus Christ purely as our Savior, or did we have some misunderstanding, or have I strayed away from Him Have I gone my own way? Have I started being self-sufficient again? That's really the message that Satan through the serpent gave to Adam and Eve about the fruit. Did God really say? He implanted that question. And he does that with us today. Is that what God really means for you to do this? Is that really what he would have you to do? And so we begin turning to our knowledge and wisdom, not God's. So we remember our fallen state. We repent. We turn from our wicked ways. We repeat acting in love as we did once before God. One of the ways that we can take an example is something we've all been through probably the most poignant example we can have is thinking about what we did when we first fell in love with someone. Men, we took a shower. We cleaned up. We might even use some deodorant. Maybe we'll even shave, although beards are in vogue right now, so it depends on the time. But we we spruced up. We might have put on a clean shirt. We did all these things. We even opened the car door for her to get in instead of jumping in first. We took her to the best place we could afford. And in short, we displayed our best behavior. We acted out because we desired to attract them. We were attracted to them and we wanted them to attract us. So we changed what we did in order to be that person. Women, you've spent hours primping and going through your clothes to present yourself in the most beautiful appearance you could for them. You cooked for them. You hung on every word, laughing at things that weren't funny (laughs) and making them feel like the king of the world. That's how we often start when we're in love. But too often those actions change once we've had several years with a person We quit worrying about how we appear or smell. We tell them there's a frozen dinner in the freezer you can heat up. We leave them behind in the car and go on in and sit down. We love them, hopefully, though not always, but we have ceased to do the things we did at the start. It's become rote, just matter of fact. And we hope they understand or we expect them to understand But how special is it when that person we love treats us like they first did, doing all those things? That's what God 
is saying we need to return to is that first love of him. That love when we couldn't read his Bible enough. When we just loved sitting down and reading it and hours would pass and we'd find that we had read the whole book of Psalms perhaps or, or some other book. We loved Christian music and we turned on anything we could listen to in order to be stirred. We enjoyed singing the great hymns of faith. But after time, we become a little jaded. We become a little calloused and we stop doing those kind of things. So in this love one another and loving God, this is the lesson God is teaching here through Paul that it's giving of oneself. It's laying oneself down. Love is an amazing, exhilarating experience. But love is work. Anyone that's been in love and is in love and continues to love knows that. It's work. In chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul continues to define what love is. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at those aspects that he talks about. Starting next week, with Paul just jumps in feet first with a heart and love is patient. Maybe it's something most of us have the most trouble with, being patient. But God is very definite in teaching that we should love one another, but we need to know how to love one another because a lot of times we do it wrong or we don't do it to the depth that God's talking about or we don't take some steps of love because they're hard, because someone will misunderstand. They won't like what we're doing or saying even though we're trying to help, trying to protect. God speaks these words to us just as he did to the church of Ephesus when he says, but this I have against you You've lost your first love. Let's stand now as we sing in our invitation time. This is a time of response. Perhaps God has spoken to your heart and you need to respond in some way. I'm here at the front, always ready to talk with you. Whether it's coming in salvation, accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, whether it's presenting yourself as a believer, whether it's asking for prayer, and you can, of course, do this in your own seat. The point is to not do any kind of a show, to not let people see how righteous you are by responding, but responding to God. And sometimes that's in not singing and just talking with him and saying, speak to my heart, Lord Jesus. Let's stand and sing.